Welcome to GLOW, the Glorious Ladies of Engineering podcast. In the spirit of reconciliation, I would like to take this opportunity to acknowledge the traditional territories of the people of the Treaty 7 region in Southern Alberta. The city of Calgary is also home to the Métis Nation of Alberta, Region 3. Our purpose with this podcast is to inspire women and non-binary folk to pursue and continue careers in engineering by spotlighting leaders, role models, and peers, showcasing achievements, and discussing challenges at all stages of our professional lives. My name's Nicole, and I'm from Calgary, Alberta. Today's episode is the sixth in a series of seven episodes. As I've mentioned in the earlier parts of this series, we received a lot of positive feedback from our initial podcast guest callout, and I wanted to talk to everyone. Each episode in this series is a compilation of answers to one of the questions we asked each woman. With this series, I'm hoping to inspire and also spread the word about what a career in engineering could look like. With doctors, firefighters, teachers, etc., it's much easier for young people to get an idea of what those careers look like because we see them. But how often do we get to see engineers in their natural habitat if we don't know one in real life? In part six, I'm asking the women where they think the engineering industry is lacking. I will include a short summary for each woman as we go through the episode. I'm also keeping them in the same order for each episode in hopes that it will be easier to follow. But if you forget who anyone is or need a refresher, you can always go back to episode one. So without further ado, let's get into it. First, we have Alexis Mulligan, a fifth-year chemical engineering and biomedical engineering student at Dalhousie University in Halifax, Nova Scotia. She wants to see more women in engineering roles, including leadership. We second that, Alexis. Where do you think the industry is lacking and how can we improve it? The industry is definitely lacking in diversity. Um, we need to advocate for these underrepresented groups um, because it will benefit the industry as a whole because people with different backgrounds have different experiences and perspectives and they'll therefore approach problems differently, ask different questions, and develop more innovative solutions. So it would definitely benefit everyone to have a more diversity in engineering. I could not agree more. Kelsey Van Tassel is a mechanical engineer and energy modeler working in Vancouver, British Columbia. She wants to see more flexibility in engineering and less rigid roles. Where do you think the industry is lacking and how can we improve it? Both companies that were previously were consulting only firms they weren't design firms so I they're motivated differently <laughs> when you're a consulting engineer you know like only and you don't do any design um, versus the designers like the the you know of course there's set, there's such time pressures and stuff on the designers like in a when you're a part of a design firm and I see a lot of you know, I mean, I see a lot of plans. I see a lot of, and they're, they tend to be kind of hasty <laughs> a lot. Like not just, like, like just ever, all the design firms, like there's just stuff that, although some codes are starting to mandate more of it, like what energy, like what codes are we following? Like that, like they're starting to mandate that, like kind of an overview on the plans of like, what are we doing here, like holistically for the project, rather than you know just having a list of all the different disciplines and and um, 
them all the plans compiled at the end and like nothing <laughs> like it's hard to like figure out between the different disciplines like you know what are their goals <laughs> what what were we trying to achieve <laughs> so you think currently or you think it's moving towards the direction of us looking at everything as kind of more big picture common goals as opposed to yeah and right and before or or even maybe still right now it's kind of each discipline's a bit bit more disjointed from yeah. others yeah yeah when i was with the consulting engineer we did commissioning so that's the like really the where you look at the whole thing and you're you're looking at you're looking at like as the commissioning agent you're looking at how does everything work together and how does everything meet what the owner wanted or thought they were getting <laughs> and right it's really like commissioning is super valuable honestly you just find so many things that like like things just don't you know they weren't like there's coordinating for like you know making sure like you know pipes don't run in the way of <laughs> other things but there's like coordinating and making like things like work together and that's more of what commissioning is trying to get to happen you know mm-hmm. um I'm, I don't really, I mean, it's tedious. Commissioning is so tedious. And I don't know that I'd be, want to be a commissioning agent, but like, it's, it is interesting to see on those projects that had it, like how, just how much better they just work, like between the, like just the project itself, but also like the, like people and being able to share information with each other, like. Yeah. I think too, with commissioning, it's also tough. In addition to being tedious, they really have no say, you know, like they can make recommendations, but they're not the, you know, they're not the engineering consultant. They're not the engineer of record. And so they can make a recommendation, but the engineer of record doesn't have to do it. They don't. We did it. We were completely, you know, third party consulting firm. So we would be contracted to the building owner typically. And so we could enforce it, you know, because we would tell the owner that you asked for this from what we understand and what they gave you is this. And so that's, that's not, you know, there's a disconnect there and you're controlling paying them. So you know, you can <laughs> fair money. Yeah, talks. exactly. So it depends on how it's set up the commissioning that like the design there's there's also the kind of commissioning that like the each discipline kind of does on its on its own stuff you know that's more limited too but yeah it, it depends on how it's set up next we have neha ninam an electrical engineer working with embedded systems in southwestern ontario she wants to see more diversity in engineering and more exposure to what being an engineer looks like where do you think the industry is lacking and how to, how can we improve it? I think we are lacking in, in making ourselves seem approachable um, in all different kinds of ways. You know, I think uh, I remember when I started that story, I was telling you about being the only female and then there was a bunch of the, the, on the other side of the wall was uh, the other side of the business essentially, right? Like the, these were people who were like operational basically. And, there was this weird sort of like, ooh, that's the girl in over, you know. And I think for me, it was kind of like, guys, I'm 
just like you. I need to go to shop at Reiki's too. Like, you know, so I think that that thing of like, we, because at the end of the day, when you look at any kind of engineering problem, let's just say in specific, you start breaking it down and it's really not that scary anymore. And I think as us as engineers, you know, we, we know that already. And I think that we should, as much as we can sort of say, okay, yes, I might be, I might have different education. I might have whatever, but that doesn't mean that I'm any better than, that's the other thing. Like I'm not any better than anybody else and no one is better than anybody else just in general. So I think just sort of, yes, I have a field of study that I like, that I enjoy, that I'm good at, but so does everybody else in all different kinds of ways. Like social media, I cannot do it. I have none of it. I can't handle it. You know what I mean? So it's like, and people in all different kinds of ways. So I think when I first got into working, that was the one like immediate thing that I noticed was there's this stark difference. And I'm like, hey, come on now. Not that scary. Not scary. Yeah, yeah, I, I know what you mean. Yeah, and people, well, and people don't, it's hard to know what we look like because we're so far kind of behind the scenes so that it's hard for young girls or young people to look up to engineers and say, I want to do that when I'm older because they're like, I don't know what you do, <laughs> you know? But yeah, I mean, I see engineering as just playing to a variety of strengths myself. Uh, and, and it's probably because they're my strengths, but, you know, it's not, yeah, it's not one thing. It's math, it's physics, sometimes it's chemistry, but it's also um, interacting with people, you're providing products, you're providing a service. Um, there's usually some version of accounting in there uh, to some extent, you know, billables, <laughs> et cetera, managing. Like, there's, it's just like, there's so many things. I mean, I love it. I couldn't imagine doing anything else. Yes. <laughs> Vivian Kasuth is a maintenance engineer in Lethbridge, Alberta. We featured her in a season one episode, and if you want to hear everything Vivian and I talked about, check out episode four of season one. Vivian's hopes are bigger than just engineering. She wants her entire society to see itself for the diverse collective that we are. Where do you think the industry is lacking and how can we improve it? Again, in, in, in our industry, if we don't have leaders who are aware of their biases, who are aware of the issues at hand of what is keeping us from progress of equality, diversity, and inclusion, if they're not aware of those things, if they want to just keep their ears closed, then we're always going to be lacking. And the, the saddest thing is that when they when they continue to have these biases, they, they are hurting, they're hurting innovation. They're hurting, you know, the bottom line that they so, you know, cherish, they're hurting their bottom line by, by not diversifying their workforce. So I think it's, it's such, it's awareness and then just coming to I don't know what the next step would be of, of, of a leader to, to just relinquish old thinking and say, okay, yeah, no, we just got to do the right thing, you know, instead of just thinking that they're always right, but finally just doing the right thing. I think awareness um, definitely over time leads to change because they I think people are oblivious to a lot of things going on 
until they start paying. And then when they start paying attention, they're like, oh, we got to do something about this. And then they start seeing what changes they could make. And, you know, if you're, if you're, you know, if you're 20, 30 years into your career and you've been doing it the same old way forever, even if you start to make the tiniest little bits of change, to me, that's a win. Don't, I, I would, yeah, I would hate for someone to think, oh, I've been doing this for so long and it's too late for me to change now. It's never too late. We can, right. we can write this ship. Also, have you read Stemming the Tide? Speaking of studies. Oh, no, I'm going to write that down right now. They go through a bunch of different industries that are, that are male dominated. So I don't know why alcohol and tobacco always stick out in my mind, but like oil and gas and mining, <laughs> all those types of industries. And they found that when women are in leadership, so there's a, there's a significant shortfall of women in leadership roles and women in, on, in board position roles. But they, what they found was in companies where that wasn't the case and there were more women in those roles, they were more profitable, they were uh, they had lower emissions, they were more sustainable, they had better transparency, people were happier. And it's like the data says that women should be in leadership. This is this data, this study is telling you that you'll be successful if this is the case. And they're like, nope, we're not doing it that way. And this study has been around for like 10 years uh, it's a really, really good study. I was actually thinking okay. um, I'd really like to do a whole episode just discussing that specific study because <laughs> it's so fascinating. But yeah, it's called Stemming the Tide. It's really good. Okay. Yeah. Next, we have Heather Elliott, an envelope engineer in Calgary, Alberta. She has high hopes for engineering and imagines an industry with a high level of automation and sophisticated software, offering infinite solutions. Where do you think the industry is lacking and how do you think we can improve it? Well, this one's interesting too. I, I think, so I guess calling back to thinking about how we have so much access to technology. I also think that there's a little bit of a, a catch 22 that comes with that. And I think that it, it can be like the reliance on it. I think that something we can improve is the idea of, hey, if we know that technology is going to get to the point that essentially it's going to be able to spit out the answer at me on almost, you know, any question uh, that comes into like the engineering fold, then I think that how we need to improve the industry is instead of, uh, you know, whereas maybe before focusing more on, well, you know, you need to be trained to use the software or you need to, you know, this and that and the other thing. It's like, no, you actually, you need critical thinking skills. You need the ability to see that answer that comes out at the end of those um, kind of calculations being crunched and actually know, you know, what, what is the math behind this or the phys physics behind this or, you know, where did it come from? And can I actually use critical thinking to know that this answer is right? I think that's actually going to become harder and harder the more we rely on technology. So um, I think that we can improve it by mentoring like younger um, engineers to to really focus on on critical thinking and and asking those tons of questions right like if 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 uh, if you're not asking questions uh, and you're kind of taking those things for for granted or at face value then then generally you're not necessarily learning um, as much as you could and I think it's almost like you want to focus less on you know junior engineering staff just learning how to copy and paste details and and you know kind of create typical notes and things like that. It's like, no, you actually need to give those people real problems to solve in a sense. I don't know exactly what the improvement would be, but I think that that's something that just the industry as a whole has to focus on 
for the future because I think technology is going to be fantastic if we use it right, but it could be a crutch that could then almost uh, define us in a negative light. Megan Bowen is a mechanical and environmental engineer who recently completed her master's in renewable energy and engineering management. She wants to see improvement in public perception and awareness, as well as better exposure to engineering as a profession. Where do you think the industry is lacking and how do you think we can improve it? So I will start again with the kind of public engagement. I'm not going to get too much into the controversy of pipelines, but um, there are a lot of existing pipelines um, that I think are getting lumped in with uh, some of the new development projects that have some controversy. And the way I've explained it to my to my grandma is, um, well, Granny, if if your house had a 50-year-old pipe that was leaking, would you fix it? And she's like, well, of course. And I was like, well, that's what some of these pipeline projects are. They may be transporting your natural gas for your home, but they're 70 years old. They've had every technical advantage in terms of aquatic protection and, and pigging and you name it, and they're going to leak because they're 70 years old. So, so getting the public engaged and aware of what that even means, I think is important because those, again, present risks to the public that they don't seem to be willing to hear <laughs> because they are, I, and again, I understand the controversy of some newer developments, um, but it, I want to kind of, yeah, have them be educated and aware. I think after the Lac-Megantic fire explosion disaster, yeah. <laughs> it became abundantly clear to me that they're moving those products whether it's in a pipeline, on a train, or in a truck. And I gotta say, the pipeline seems like the least risky. And also, to me, I wouldn't spend my time fighting the pipeline. I would spend my time saying, yes, but. So you want to put in sensors every five kilometers? I want sensors every two kilometers. You want to put in checks at these stages? I want to put in checks at twice as many, like more more frequency, right? So. I wouldn't necessarily be saying no, I would be saying yes, but let's add all these extra protections to make sure that we're all, you know, we're all safer at the end of the day. Yeah, and and we're kind of missing that, like, we have that technical data about what level of risk the, the public could realize given those, those scenarios, but they don't seem willing to listen to them. It's such a controversial, controversial yeah. topic. Yeah. Yeah. We could go down a whole rabbit hole. I know. Um, but otherwise, uh, I also thought about succession planning in the sense that, like, I felt, especially at the EIT, I was really lucky to have the mentors that I did. But unfortunately, with some um, natural economy ebbs and flows, there can be some gaps that are created in terms of levels of experience. And I'm a, I am a little concerned right now, given the, the past five years of, uh, in low times, um, some of the larger companies have succession planning in mind and continually hire EITs on, but it's not always available. And I think that that will create a problem. So I think our, yeah, I think our industry needs a bit, bit more work on succession planning going forward. Even if we just look at demographically the baby boomers, right. They're going to retire. <laughs> and, uh, and yeah, we need some plans in place for how to deal with the the loss of that knowledge and transfer of that knowledge. Yeah. And 
Well, so feel free to correct me if I'm wrong, but my understanding is that in oil and gas, contract work is a lot more common. And so it's a lot more, it happens a lot more that a person or a group of people will get hired on for, you know, a year, two years, three years, whatever, for a specific project. And then once that project's done, they leave and maybe they, maybe they get hired for a new contract at that same company, or maybe they go to a different company. And it, and I say that because it seems like there's a lot more moving around. And, and it's not that there's not movement in other industries as well, but I do think it's a lot less, you know, our, our projects are a lot smaller. And so I can touch multiple projects in a day in building services. And so mm-hmm. I don't get hired to deal with one project. I just deal with projects as they come up. And so there's, there's a lot less, I, I don't know, it feels like there's a lot less movement, at least project-based. And so I, I wonder if that's a part of why those mentors and mentees keep kind of shifting around. I don't know. Does that, do you think that plays a factor at all? I do think that's a factor. Yeah. Yeah. You're hit it on the head in the sense that because our project scale is those larger ones compared to some of building service, um, retrofits as an example, where you could handle more than one as a, as a project um, team member. Um, but the scale of some uh, oil and gas projects is so large that you do need those people full time for two to three years but then you don't. <laughs> and, and so, yeah, there, there becomes this kind of gap and there's opportunities for people to move around in a way that prevents knowledge transfer. Yeah. I, I also do one thing I've, and I, this has kind of been a, a recurring theme in a lot of the discussions that I've had is that mentorship within the engineering space as a whole is, seems to be lacking. I'm not saying there aren't mentorship mentors and mentees, but they're not, it's not really set up very well. It's not super common. Um, you know, if you have a mentor that you've worked with for several years, I would consider you to be really lucky. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I mean, the, don't get me wrong. You just, everyone has supervisors and there's people training other people. It's not like everyone's just floating around doing their own thing, but it's, you know, to have a a mentor or someone who's advocating for you or, or maybe a sponsor would be a better term that doesn't seem to be as common which is interesting because like you said at the beginning, uh, there's so, you know, you, you learn all the technical theory in school, but you don't get any of the practical knowledge. And so there's so much on the job training that has to go into engineering for you to be successful. So it, it, I just, it's weird that mentorship is such a, in my opinion, a, a lacking piece of that puzzle. Yeah. And I don't know if it's, um, one of the combinations of uh, varying levels of connection between industry and academia, such that that kind of bridge step of having a professor to having a mentor doesn't take place in the same way. But yeah, I, I agree that that's what's kind of lacking and that would, that, I, that makes me worried about um, 10 years down the road and what kind of succession has happened with our, our knowledge transfer. Yeah, yeah. I'm going to pause here for a second to talk about where I think the industry is lacking. First and foremost, there is a perception that increasing the number of women in engineering is a problem for women to solve. It's not. We need everyone, especially men, to work together to make our industry more diverse. Also, I would love to see more appreciation from clients and the public for our knowledge and skills. Sometimes it feels like we're expected to divulge information for free. And that is not the case. Next, we have Hannah Kaufman, a mechanical engineer from Rochester, New York, who received her degree at Dalhousie University in Halifax, Nova Scotia. 
She wants to see a more sustainable and inclusive future. Where do you think the industry is lacking and how can we improve it? I think like accountability and representation. We, I mean, with George Floyd, Breonna Taylor, Ahmed Arbery, like the whole Black Lives Matter stuff, that whole protest and movement that's been resurfaced in the past like year or so. And I think a lot of people or a lot of us, like, especially in engineering space, like engineering space is predominantly white men. And then... I mean, it is lacking women in general, but it's also lacking a lot of BIPOC people. So who isn't at this table? Who isn't, who aren't we hearing from? Like, why, whose perspective are we not seeing? And like being accountable to that and showing up and being honest about where we are and how far we need to come to actually make progress from a sustainability point of view. I mean, this, it touches so many different aspects of like intersectionality, sustainability, like so many, so many things. Yeah. So this platform is created to expand and network and get more women in engineering. But I think that's just a starting point. And I think a lot of the stories that I've been hearing, at least in that I hope to continue. Well, I mean, I hope they get better as we get more women in our network grows. But, you know, the stories that I've been hearing, I think, Pretty much anyone in a that's a minority within their industry, even if it's not engineering, are going to share a lot of the same stories that or experiences that they're hearing, which is sad in a way. But one thing that I've also learned is so, you know, I may be one of very few women in my firm and I may feel isolated. But then when I start hearing these other women's stories, I realize that I'm not alone and there's a club here kind of and we're we're all in it together. And then you, once you kind of start having that community, then you feel like you're part of the, the group and, and you, don't, you don't feel so isolated anymore, which has been a really interesting learning experience for me, just talking to all these women and hearing their story. You know, even networking events, you know, you meet people, but you don't go into the whys and the hows and the, you know, like, how did you get here? Why did you pick engineering? You know, you don't always get into that in-depth conversation while you're just, you know, at a networking event. So I think we've really got into some cool details here, which is, which is fun. And last, but certainly not least, we have Saffron Skinner-Wilson, a building envelope engineer in Calgary, Alberta. She wants to see engineering continue to prioritize learning, development, discovery, and constant improvement. Where do you think the industry is lacking and how can we improve it? I actually struggled most with this question because I don't think that any system is perfect. And I don't mean to say that engineering is perfect, but I don't have a suggested thing that needs improving, especially because one of the challenges is such an open-ended question. We've already talked about, you know, even your role to my role, we're just two individuals out of the entire world of engineering. And our roles are completely different. Our industries are completely different. People we work with are completely different. So I think that every type of engineering, every type of industry that you work in, Every individual firm that you work with or every individual manager you work with is going to impact how you see your field and your career. So I think that what I've learned so far is that if you're in a spot where something does need improving or you you genuinely aren't happy, move to a different firm because the industry itself encompasses everyone's wants and needs. And I mean, I know from Building Envelope, there's a couple of firms in Calgary that are really 
technically they're just the, all they care about is the nuance and the detail. And like, for example, I actually asked one of my peers when I worked for one of those firms, do you want to, did he want to go golfing? And his response was that he could calculate the trajectory of the ball to get it in the hole, but he couldn't physically perform the action. And I was like, okay, we talk different languages. <laughs> I don't want to be around you. This is not a fit. Whereas an intuitive, everyone's like actual real people and not robots. So my response ultimately to that question of like, where is the industry lacking and how can we improve it is find your fit in it. Because once you find your fit, everything else becomes easier and, and you can make the difference you want to make, or you can have the life you want to have or the career you want to have surrounded by people that are like-minded. Well, that concludes the sixth episode of this bonus series. I hope you enjoyed hearing all of these stories. We heard a lot of interesting ideas for what we need to do to improve our industry. I wholeheartedly agree that more diversity is key to improving our industry. I would also like to see a more holistic approach to engineering, at least within the construction industry. And I also really liked the idea of finding your fit in the industry. In part seven, the final part of this series, I asked the women what advice they would give to young women interested in or just starting out in engineering. This podcast is developed and produced by Gina Marin, Miriam Abdulrahman, Kara Sloat, Caitlin Fedorkiu, and me, Nicole Imason. Thanks everyone for tuning in. Please rate, review, and subscribe to the Glow Podcast so more people can find us. For our socials, search at Glow Podcast on Instagram, Twitter, and LinkedIn. That's G-L-O-E. We want to hear from you. What do you like or dislike about our show? What would you like to see us do with this platform? Please send your feedback to glowpodcast at gmail.com. We may even do a mailbag episode in the future, so let us know if you want to remain anonymous. Episode schedules can be found on our website at glow.ca, and our music is The Justice by Mountaineer. Thanks again for joining us today, and until next time, keep nerding out.